Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Tuesday, April the 19th, 2022. It is currently 522 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live, high above a street in Abilene, Texas. Okay, okay, maybe not that high above a street. I'm coming to you live two, two stories up above a street here in Abilene, Texas. Yes, I am in the second story bedroom of my home here in Abilene, Texas. That's where this program is originating from today. And uh, well, we always appreciate you tuning in. If you're listening to us live, either on the Church One app, the Sermons 2.0 app, or the Spreaker app, or any other area, uh, any other websites where the live broadcast can be heard, we greatly appreciate it. Thank you so very much. If you're not listening to us live, and you would like to know how, it's very simple. Just the easiest thing, just email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, and say, how can I listen live? Or just download the Church One app. That's Church, O-N-E, Church, O-N-E. And once you download the app, do a search for Theology Central. It basically turns that app into the Theology Central app, and then you can listen to us live whenever we're live on the air. But if you're not listening to us live today, you're listening to us on demand Thank you so much. If you're listening to us on YouTube, thank you so much. Wherever, however, whenever, we greatly appreciate it because I know you have about a billion options of things to listen to. There are so many things available to you. We're just grateful that you've taken some time to listen to what we have to say this afternoon. Now, as always, I have a stack of stuff. I have article after article after article that we can talk about. So I just, what I did is I just opened up my notes on my iPad. That's where I save all the articles right there in my notes. And I just grabbed the first one and said, let's start with this one. And hopefully it will be beneficial and hopefully it will be challenging. Now, there's going to be a lot I may say that you could strongly disagree with. And I understand that because I'm going to take a very strong stance. I'm going to take a a minority position, but I I think that um, it's sometimes it's good to be in the minority and not in the majority, but you can tell me what you think. Are you ready? Let's begin by opening opening our Bibles, if we can. If you can, obviously I can, because I'm sitting here two stories above a street in Abilene, Texas, in a bedroom. So clearly I can, but you may be driving or whatever you may be doing. So just listen. I'm going to open my Bible to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. And I want to read a very, very well-known section of Scripture. You know this. You've heard it read. You've heard it preached. But, but... Now, I know the second I say that, I'm just canceling it out. I'm saying it in this sense. You may know it. You may have heard it preached. But is it actually applied in any meaningful way? I mean, everyone knows it. Everyone refers to it at some time. But is it really, does it, does the verse really mean anything to most Christians and most churches and most ministries in 2022? All right, here we go. Matthew chapter 21, verse 12. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple 
and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. Verse 13. This is Matthew 21. That was verse 12, now verse 13. And he said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. My house, now I I, I do, there's something interesting here, that Jesus went into the temple of God. It's the temple of God. And then Jesus states, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. The temple of God, the house of prayer, has been turned into a den of thieves. And Jesus went in and knocked things over and drove people out. He was not going to tolerate it. He was saying, this is wrong. This is just, this is not acceptable. You are you're desecrating the temple of God. You're desecrating the house of prayer. You're you're taking the temple of God and the house of prayer and you're turning it into something else. Now, most think that what is happening here is they were selling things for people to use for sacrifice. And what they were doing is basically saying, okay, if you need an animal for a sacrifice, you, you buy what we are offering you and they were possibly charging more, all right? So some people see that it was just a, it was in a sense, a desecration and a corrupting and a merchandising of the sacrificial system. And some say that's about as far as the application goes. But here's my question to you. This text about what they were doing to the temple of God, to the house of God, to the to the a house of prayer, Based on what was happening, is there any application to your church, my church, and to ministries around the world? Or is this just saying, you know, well, they, 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 they were basically, you know, corrupting and, and turning the sacrificial system into a, a merchandising opportunity, and it doesn't really have a direct application to us, because I have, have had plenty of times when I will reference this section of scripture about something going on in the church today, and I will immediately get a pushback going, no, 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 it's not applicable. It's not applicable. You can't condemn a church for doing that. You can't condemn churches for doing that based off that verse, because that verse has nothing to do with it whatsoever. It doesn't have anything to do with it. Well, you can tell me what you think. What what do you think the application is? What, What kind of things do your church what what things does your church engage in that could pay, that could possibly be it could be argued that wait a minute you're turning the house of god you're turning the the church of god you're turning the house of prayer into a den of thieves now the reason i'm mentioning this text is because on april the 8th 2022 an article was published with this headline. Some houses of prayer have become dens of thieves. 
Some houses of prayer have become dens of thieves. Now, this is referring to, well, the time we live. Right now, in the in, in, in church history, we're, we're talking about the present. Right here, specifically, I think this is going to focus on the United States of America. But wherever you may be, wherever you may live, look at the churches. Have they become a den of thieves? Have they become dens of thieves? Or are we misapplying what it was going on in Matthew 21? Is there any application? Well, let's see how they handle this. I quote from the article. A few days before his arrest and crucifixion, Jesus went into the temple and saw the blasphemy perpetrated by the attendees. Worshippers were buying and selling inside the temple of God. He overturned the table of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. His citation was from the book of Jeremiah and Isaiah. God was angry with the Israelites who were abusing their privileges as religious leaders and violently taking what did not belong to them. Don't you yourselves admit that this temple, which bears my name, has become a den of thieves. Surely I see all the evil going on there. I, the Lord, have spoken. That's Jeremiah 7, 11. That's Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11. Again, from the quotation from the quotation that's in this article, I do not know what version they're, they're citing, but they have it written this way. Don't you yourselves admit that this temple, which bears my name, has become a den of thieves? Surely I see all the evil going on here. I, the Lord, have spoken. So once again, let me ask. So this this was happening in the Old Testament. This was happening in the New Testament. In what way is it happening today? Now, someone said, it, it can't happen today because it was different. I don't know. Is there a principle that's applicable here? Is, is there any, is there any, has, I mean, I mean, in some cases, I believe churches feel like they can pretty much do anything they want. But how have churches become dens of thieves? They go on to say, they quote now Isaiah 56, 7. Isaiah 56, 7, and this is their citation of Isaiah 56, 7. Again, I do not know the uh, version of the Bible they're using because they do not state it. But here it is. This is how it reads, and I quote, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now, this seeming, they quote Isaiah 56, 7, because it seems to imply that the temple is supposed to be, well, a place of worship. It's a house of prayer. It, it, it has a purpose there. And that they were coming along, taking the, the house of God, the temple of God, the, the house of prayer, and it was being, they were doing something else in it that wasn't a part of its original purpose. Like, here's the temple, here's what it's for, and what you're doing has nothing to do with what this place was designed for. To me, if I take Isaiah 56, which says, hey, this is what the temple is for, it's a house of prayer. And I look at what God is condemning in Jeremiah 7 and in Matthew 21, I think of, 
a more, a broader principle would be, here's what the church is supposed to be. Here's what the church is doing. That so they're they're misappropriating, they're they're misusing the church. And then when you bring in anything that's associated with money, well, then you've turned it into a den of thieves. Is, is that or is that being am I am I being too free with the text? Let's see where they go with this. The purpose of God is that anyone who steps into his temple shall receive joy as he prays and offers sacrifices. As we have as we have just a few days to com- commemorate, as we have just a few days to commemorate the arrest and crucifixion of Christ, I feel like rem- uh, I feel like reminding us that the scenario that Christ encountered in his earthly ministry is eerily similar to today. It is also important to note that God is watching all the atrocities going on in the so-called houses of prayer. The oppression and intimidation in the church are all noticed by God. In the time of Christ's earthly ministry, the temple leaders perverted God's ways and purposes. They cheated worshipers and sold animals meant for sacrifices at exorbitant uh, prices. They, they, They hiked up the prices. Jesus felt bitter and violently accosted uh, the uh, G- Jesus felt bitter and violently accosted the evildoers and quoted the scripture to prove the legality and authority of his actions. I cannot imagine what Christ would t- do today if he physically stepped into some of our churches. Aprons, anointing oils, protective wristbands, holy water, miracle jackets are merchandised inside the houses of prayer without recourse to Christ's chastisement. So again, they were, in a sense, I think they were misappropriating the temple and turning it into a place to make money, and then they were ripping people off. They were charging people exorbitant prices so that they could offer a sacrifice. Now, they mention a lot of things here that's going on in the church, that I have no, literally no, uh, I, I have no experience with and I have never seen. Aprons, I don't even know what they're referring to there. Anointing oils, I, I know, I, I've, I know churches that use anointing oils. Do they sell them within the church? I've never seen or experienced that. Protective wristbands, I have no idea what that's talking about. I, I don't know, I don't know. Miracle jackets, I don't really know. I don't know any of those things. That is in some weird world of Christianity that I obviously have never encountered. All right? And they say these are all merchandised inside the house of prayer without recourse to Christ's chastisement. So let's stop right here. All right. Here I'm going to mention some things that I have witnessed and encountered. And I, every time I mention the things that bother me, people will say, well, that's not applicable. That has nothing to do with Matthew 21, all right? But he, I, I think, I don't know how you can get around this. I have seen it over and over and over that there'll be some conference, right? You know where I'm going to go. You know, if you know anything about me, you know I'm going to use this as an opportunity to talk about this because this is an issue that will bother me 
until the day I die. I don't know why it doesn't bother the average Christian. Christians aren't bothered by it. Churches aren't bothered by it. But someone has to be out there calling it out because I think it's wrong. And I think all Christians need to speak against it and stop participating in it. And that is this absolute insane concept that there's a conference. Many cases held inside a church, a place of worship, a place that people should be able to freely walk in and hear the word of God preached. But no, 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 no. You drive by, you're like, what? what's that line of people? Oh, they're waiting to get into the house of prayer. They're waiting to get into the house of God. They're waiting to get into that church. And what are they waiting for? Well, they're waiting because they have to buy a ticket or they have to show a ticket or they have to register ensuring that they've already paid because they paid $100, $50, $60, $300, whatever the price may be so that they can get inside a church so that someone can stand behind a pulpit, open a Bible and say, you know, welcome to whatever conference. Uh, our theme this year is the book of Isaiah. So well, we're going to begin with our keynote address. Here's the next big celebrity, whoever it is. They come up and everybody's like, oh, yay, my favorite preacher, yay. And then they open their Bible. Maybe they preach from Isaiah 10. Afterwards, everyone's like, oh, that's amazing. Then they run up to get a few selfies with their celebrity pastor, maybe get an autograph. And then, by the way, in the lobby, I'm selling my commentary on Isaiah. So then everyone runs out there to buy a couple of books. All this happening inside a church. People paying money to hear the word of God preached inside a church. And then they sell books to help people supposedly study the Bible instead of giving the books away. Now, some conferences will give the books away. Okay, that... I do applaud that, but people still had to pay two, three, four hundred dollars to get in. So then does that money that they paid cover ultimately the expense of the book, quote unquote, giveaway? Or do they have sponsors or donors who are help covering the cost? In other words, is the church really sacrificing anything? Or in the long run, are they actually making money on the entire endeavor? Does that not turn the church into a den of thieves? If it's wrong to charge people to get a sacrifice, is it wrong to charge people to hear the word of God preached? That's what I have seen. I've seen churches have bookstores inside the building. I've seen churches have coffee shops inside the building. I've seen churches where the youth group do all kinds of fundraising thing, right? By selling candy bars or calendars or or doing a car wash in the church parking lot. And it's like, wait a minute, is this a business or is this a church? Let's see where they go with this. So again, they named a lot of things there that I'm not familiar with, but I, I can definitely, I can name things I have encountered. They go on to write this in the article. Spiritual trade by barter is now rampant in churches. Spiritual trade by barter. Now, if you're not familiar, in fact, we'll just look this up really quick. The word barter is exchange good or services for other goods or services without using money. Now, in this particular case, they are saying that spiritual trade by barter is now rampant in churches. So there's a a spiritual trade going on 
by barter. Now, see, many worshipers are no longer interested in what God says, but what their pastor says. Many Christians no longer read the Bible, but read books written by their pastors, books that oftentimes negate the teaching of Christ. Now, there's an entire industry in the Christian world where, where people write books, They write books, and then people pay money to get those books. Sometimes those books are nothing more than edited versions of their sermons, but they're, so in a sense, they're selling their sermons. They're selling their sermons. Now, they could write a commentary and put it online for free that people could download. But is it true that many people are not interested in what God says, but in what everyone supposedly says about what God said in the Bible? When the house of prayer becomes the den of robbers, the sheep are hurt. Many so-called custodians of the gospel these days live in affluence, while those whom they're robbing live in abject poverty. In Nigeria, many universities are built by the poor, but they cannot afford to send their kids to those schools. Many such worshipers are hypnotized and are groomed to defend their hypnotizers. Many Christians are just almost hypnotized by their, by their celebrity and, and they, they, well, they defend them. They defend the very ones who, in a sense, who've hypnotized them. Worse yet, houses of prayer can also become the den of kidnappers, where even children are kidnapped routinely. In one of the churches in Ondo State, Nigeria, um, an individual took her son to a church prayer service. She heard wonderful testimonies from church members about alleged miracles happening there. The expectation of this woman turned sour when she went to pick up her one-year-old son after service, but could not find him. The woman who went to church to pray ended up losing her only son to kidnappers. This should not be. Now, that's talking about what's going on in the, in Nigeria. Again, some of these, so actually some of these things may actually, some of those things that they mentioned may actually be happening in, in the church in Nigeria. Maybe that's why I'm, I wasn't familiar with some of these things. Um, aprons, anointing oils, protective wristbands, holy water, and miracle ja- jackets. That that. That may be things familiar there. So whatever's going on in the, in the church in Nigeria, well, you can just come to the United States and we have our own list of issues and problems. They have one last paragraph here. As we soon celebrate Easter, let us be reminded that the house of God is a house of prayer and not a den of thieves. Christians are representatives of Christ on earth and should resist every form of corruption and commercial activity in churches just like Christ did. We might not have the authority to overturn the tables of the money changers, but we can resolve to speak out or to refuse to patronize the false teachers who inhabit our pulpits. And that concludes the article. I I have pointed some, I feel like I've been pointing some of these issues out like 25 years of my life. And to be honest, I know, look, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not a fool. I know that the more, majority of people just kind of roll their eyes like, oh, he's, he's upset about that stuff again. And the average person doesn't really care. They're ha- they, they got no problem with the entire conference industrial complex. They don't really have a problem with the Christian publishing industrial complex. 
they want to they they like buying the merchandise they have no problem promoting the entire system that continues to promote these things. Look, I, I started getting into, into having issues with some of these things happening, going all the way back. In the, in the, in the 80s, I was still a young, I was a young, in the, well, late, I became a Christian as a teenager, kind of the late 80s. So I, I was still trying to figure a lot of things out, trying to make sense of a lot of it. But by the time we get into the 1990s, I start, I start having major questions and major problems. Here's another one. All right. So now we could, I could go through a long (laughs) history here of my relationship and involvement in the, in the world of contemporary Christian music. Okay. I could talk about the music. I could talk about my issues with it, of defending it, uh, being a, trying to being a fan, all, I just, everything about the contemporary Christian music world. In fact, I just watched a documentary about contemporary Christian music called Jesus Music, which is available on Hulu for streaming. And I'd already done, I spent like three years just kind of doing my own research and investigation of everything dealing with the contemporary Christian music world. And I, I could talk about that all day, but we'll just bring the, and within the contemporary Christian music world, you had a, a, a common theme that was put forth by many of the artists. And that is that basically we're here to minister to people. We're here to bring the word of God to people. We're here to minister to people in song and in word. Some of them would even have quote unquote altar calls. Some of, and, and so many of them, they, they wanted that idea that we, we want to be ministers. Now, some tried to push back like, no, I'm just an artist that sings about things related to Christianity. I'm, I'm not really in the ministry thing, but even those who would say that would still take their concert tour and hit all of the places, your big churches, right? Youth rallies, youth conferences, you know, other Christian conferences. In other words, hey, I, I don't really want to be a minister, but they would go right to those places where, in a sense, quote unquote, you're supposed to be a minister, which to me was very disingenuous. But other others wanted to be like, no, we're ministers. We're ministers. We're ministers. Don't view us as a rock band. Don't view us as whatever genre. View us as ministers of music, in a sense, right? Well, then guess what they would do? They would go play in a church. And then guess what would happen? Once again, people would line up outside and you had to pay money to get inside a church to see someone perform. All right. There was a a, a big church in Bellevue, Nebraska. A a very well-known contemporary Christian artist was coming there. We were like, okay, we were still in trying to you know, support that world as much as possible. And we were like, okay, we'll go. And I think tickets were between maybe 50 to $75. It was some crazy thing. And I was, you know, I was a, a, a you know, a, a young airman in the United States Air Force. And so I look, I'm like, I can't afford this. I can't go. I can't take my wife. We can't go. We can't go. And we just like, this is ridiculous. So we started asking questions. We tried to write, we tried to write, I think, letters to the to maybe the artist and to the church and and everyone had an excuse, right? Everyone had an excuse that well that we're not a business, we're a ministry, but it costs to do ministry. And so, but then we're like, but wait a minute, you're playing inside a church. Well, then we find out that the church was charging the artist in order to use the building. So therefore, the the church was basically running a, a you know a, a rental system. A rental business, right? They rented out their their building 
so that the so the Christian artist had to pay this church all this money. So therefore, the Christian artist had to charge people to get in to get their money back for paying. And I'm like, why would churches do that? If you're, if churches are worried about ministering to young people and ministering to people through music that supposedly relates to them, well, then you would say, hey, we've got a big building. You you. They would put out a that would send out a thing to every Christian artist they can find. Our building is open every Friday night. You can use it absolutely free. Here's what we ask you to do: that whatever you you mess up, you clean it up perfectly. We can't provide you you know a crew to set everything up, but here it is. But no, 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 no. The churches charged the artist. The artist then charged the people. Obviously, charged enough not only to pay back. For, for renting the church building, but then obviously to make a little bit of money. So then it turns into a business. That's not ministry anymore. That stops being ministry. Just like, and so once again, people are paying to get into a church to supposedly be ministered to. I mean, I'm trying to wrap my mind around how Christians can't see that. You're paying money to be ministered to. Look, that's, that's just insane. And, and nobody ever catches on. Like, what are you doing? Well, I'm going to this conference and I'm registering now. How much? It's $100. You're paying $100 so, so someone can teach you God's word. And, and that's the, the spirit of early Christianity? Really? Because that seems ridiculous to me. So, but we, we got all into it and, and, and they, they all had horrible excuses. But I've seen churches... I, I, I didn't even realize at the time, and now I'm very, and now I'm much more aware of it. Churches rent out their buildings for people to use for weddings. I'm like, wait a minute. So the church, Christianity, who's all the, the sanctity of marriage, the sanctity of marriage. We we support marriage, and we want you to get married in our sanctuary for the low, low price of $400. And it's like, what in the world is happening? So now you have to pay money to use a church building in order to get married. That doesn't sound like we care about the sanctity of marriage. It seems that we care a lot about money and making money off our building. Now, is the building there to minister to people, or is the building there so that you can rent it out so that you can make some money? Pastors basically selling their services. Oh, you want to get married? I'll marry you for $100. Whatever the go- Why would a pastor charge someone to marry someone? I thought we cared about the sanctity. I could go on and on and on of all of these things that happen. Now you say, well, it may not be a direct correlation to Matthew 21. I will say this, whether, whether it's a direct correlation or not, whether you don't think it's applicable, I will say this, whenever you see Christians charging people money in order to be ministered to, it should bother you. I, again, I can go back early stages of the internet. And then as the internet became more and more developed, churches, typically celebrity pastors, put their sermons online and you could get their sermon for a low, low price of $1 or $1.99. You had to pay money to download a digital file of a sermon. I was utterly shocked by this because as early as, what, 2000, my sermons were going online. We're a little church in the middle of nowhere, and we weren't charging anyone a dime. But 
and you say, because your churches are not worth, your sermons are not worth a dime. Maybe they're not. But why would any pastor whose sermons are supposedly worth so much, in other words, they're worth so much because they're such a blessing and they're so valuable and their insight into scripture is far better than all of those loser pastors who are in the middle of nowhere. Okay, because you've got it all figured out and you have such power of communication and such power of exposition and you're the grand, you know, you're the grand teacher of all. Why would you then charge people money in order for them to receive such a blessing from your such great teaching? The fact you put it behind a paywall is absolutely atrocious and ungodly to me. There were some well-known pastors who were charging people money for their sermons. They finally stopped, but it was the fact that they did it in the first place. They're Christian podcasters right now. Give you part of an episode. If you want the rest of the episode, you got to join the Patreon page. Now, I, I would absolutely tell you, do not do that. Do not pay them money to get their content. If they're trying to minister to you, they should want to do so freely. In other words, the content should be made available to anyone and everyone freely. And then those who are blessed by it, those who think that what you're doing is worthwhile, they will, they will support you in some way, shape, or form. If they do, great. If they don't and you don't have the money to continue, then you cut back on your ministry. Like, well, we can't be on this website anymore. We can't do this anymore. We can't do this anymore. And you may have to just ultimately give up. You just may have to say, well, that's the end of my ministry. Well, I mean, that can happen. But you shouldn't be charging people. You're, you're, you're turning the word of God, the word of God, into something that you're, you, that you're selling. You're selling the preaching of God's word. You're turning the word, the word of God into a product which you're selling, which is evil. My teaching of God's word is not a product that I sell or put behind a Patreon paywall. And Christian podcasters more and more are doing that. Hey, you, you want to hear the rest of this interview? You need to join our Reformation Club or you need to become a, you know, a Luther or whatever little gimmick that they come up with because they have all these different levels, right? These, you give this much money a month or you give this much money a month or you give this much money a month and then you get more content. And I'm always thinking, wait a minute. So to get more content, you've got to pay them. And I'm, and I'm sitting here trying to put out as much content as possible for free. Now, it doesn't mean I'm more spiritual than them. Let me make it very clear. It doesn't mean I'm more godly than them. I, I am a sinner in front of a microphone. The point is, when you start turning the word of God into something you're selling, it's a problem. It's a problem. What, what do you think? Has the church become a den of thieves? Have churches, plural, become dens, plural, of thieves, plural? Now, again, I'm not calling for anyone to go knock over the tables. but Just don't go to the conferences. Sorry, I'm not going to go to your conference. I get the emails all the time for a conference. Hey, register now. Early bird special. You can save $100. <laughs> I just shake my head. Yeah. I can save a hundred dollars, and so you want me and you want me to sign up as soon as possible, so that I can pay money, so that I can hear the word of God preached. You know what I would rather do? 
I'd rather look on a, a, an app like Sermons 2.0, and I would rather find some pastor and some little small church who no one's ever going to know. Maybe he's not the best preacher. Maybe he stumbles over his words, mispronounces a Greek word. Maybe he makes some mistakes. I would rather listen to him than have to pay some so-called celebrity pastor to hear them preach. And I, have, I don't care about getting your, your, a selfie with you. And I don't really don't care about getting your autograph. And I really just don't care. Now, I've, don't, don't get me wrong. I've paid money to go to conferences in my Christian life. I've always went to smaller ones, never to the big ones. So I've, you know, I think the most I ever paid was $60. I think it was $60. That was Dr. James White. I think it was $60. It may have been $50. Maybe it was a little, it, it, it wasn't, I mean, that's still a lot of money now that I'm thinking about it. But um, I, it was uh, at a church. It was, again, at a church though. See, that's, I paid to get into a church. That's just insane to even hear myself say that. But it was Dr. James White. There was a couple of other speakers at a church in uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, I used to go to a conference at a church in Kansas City, um, but it was free. Not only was the conference free, they get, they fed you a lunch. Yeah, it was free. Ain't it amazing? Some conferences could do that. Now, the, you know what the difference was? The the the, uh, the conference in Kansas City didn't have any celebrity pastors. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? See, you if you build celebrity, then you can charge people to hear you preach. Yeah, I think something something has gone way wrong in the church. But this is not a new problem. I don't know what's going on in Nigeria. It sounds like they have lots of issues going on there, and I don't know why they bring in the child being kidnapped. I, I don't know. Is that the church's fault? Like that, that, that was a little odd the way they put that into the article. And I, you know, so I'm not in any way, I, I don't know what, what exactly, I don't ever know, under, understand how the church is involved in that. But I do understand that it sounds like there's some merchandising, selling of things going on in the church in Nigeria. And it's going on in the American church as well. So we have to ask ourselves, if the church doesn't even bother to try to figure out how Matthew 21 may be applicable to the church and how it does things, and that's, that's the leadership. That's the people you know, making their decisions for what they're going to do. If even Christian podcasters does, can't even see that they're, they're selling their ministering they're, they're selling the ministry of God's word and placing it behind a paywall. If no one in the church can even see, the leadership of the church can't even see what they're doing, then why do we expect the per person sitting in the pew to be able to say, well, then I'm going to apply the scripture to me? No, no. Why apply any anything you don't like, we just don't apply to ourselves. And anything we we like, we apply and we usually use it to condemn others. I, look, I hate it. I Oh, I'm, I, I say it, I've said this so many times. I hate the fact that money has to be involved in ministry. I loathe it. I loathe it. I don't want money to be involved. I hate it. I hate that it costs money to be doing, a, I'm doing a live broadcast on multiple platforms. Each one of those platforms costs money. Each one. I hate that. I hate to have a pod page cost money. I hate that. 
That's the reality. Now, you can just minister and hope that people who appreciate it will support it. And if they can't, then you have to figure out how much money you can sacrifice to keep yourself ministering. But there you go. Church has become a den of thieves. You can tell me whether you agree or disagree. You can email me newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, um, or you can, well, any of the other ways you can contact me. Feel free to do that. All right, everyone have a great, uh, well, now it's it's 6.02 p.m., so I think we can say it's now evening time. Have a great Tuesday evening, and I'll be back with another live broadcast coming to you high above a street in Abilene, Texas, or two stories above a street in Abilene, Texas. Yeah, that's, I, I guess that's the new way we describe. I, I used to say, I'm coming to you from a church in the middle of nowhere, Texas. Now I'm going to say, I'm coming to you two stories above a street in Abilene, Texas. Maybe that's the new way, uh, the new, the way I would describe where I'm coming to you live from. All right, everyone have a good one. God bless.